Welcome back to the Clemson Podcast. Today is Sunday, October 25th. Clemson is 7-0, and life is good. Uh, welcome back, guys. This is our Miami Clemson recap episode. Quickly, we'd like to give a shout-out to ClemsonPodcast.com. Uh, visit our website. You can see our most recent posts and most recent shows linked there. And we've got those embedded. You can stream them directly on our site. Um, also, would encourage you to search for us on iTunes or SoundCloud. Um, there you can subscribe to our podcast and make sure you, you never miss a show. Uh, we're also on Twitter and Facebook. We've been trying to be a little more active on both of those platforms, posting links, uh, being a little active during game day as well. So uh, would appreciate your follow on either of those platforms. And um, without further ado, let's get into this game recap. So um, as everyone saw, Clemson dismantled Miami 58-0 yesterday. Uh, scoring 42 points before the half, which is just sort of a gaudy, gaudy result, gaudy number here. Um, I'd even go so far as to call this a historic victory for Clemson. Um, the, the numbers and certainly the stats back that up. Um, this was the largest margin of defeat in Miami team history um, for a very storied football program. I'm not sure how many years they've been playing football, but um, definitely interesting to see that this was the biggest beatdown they've ever, ever dealt with. They've got a 90-year history the football program. And for Clemson, this actually tied our largest margin of victory um, with the 1981 team who dropped 82 on Wake Forest. Um, that team also accomplished some other interesting things. So, yeah, pretty, uh, pretty damn good win for the Tigers. And we'll talk a little bit about our own expectations and expectations around the country coming into this game. But I don't know if any of us saw that coming out of this game or out of this team. Wow. I mean, what an exciting game. I mean, it's historic on so many levels, not just what we did uh, kind of in terms of Miami's worst loss in the history of their football program, but what it means uh, in current history and moving forward for the Clemson football program. This this is a, a game and an outcome that changes the perception of your program where you really show up as being an elite team. And I think that we proved that. Everybody, including us, had this game as, as being close and a tough game. It wasn't from from the get go. I mean, we manhandled them. We we handled this team with ease. It was a brutal, brutal victory for the Tigers, and it was exciting. You know, there's one game every year where we're finally like, "Wow, I was waiting on on this game all season long." And in dramatic fashion, we had that yesterday against an actually a decent team. I remember people asking us as we were watching the game. It was 42 nothing going into the half, and then we, you know, they didn't score at all. I think it was about the third quarter or so. Somebody said, "How are you still finding this exciting?" I was like, "What do you mean? Like this is we went down to Miami and we are annihilating them. Uh, we're still cheering for the shutout because we were that kept us going and motivated um, th throughout the end of this game. I remember I think one most one of the most dramatic plays for me in this game." Um, was after that uh, Ray Ray McLeod fumble, Miami had good field position, and I think it was that fourth down play where their whoever was running the ball had about is their backup quarterback. Yeah, their yeah. backup QB had about three opportunities. He was past the line of scrimmage, should have got the first down, and I was just on the edge of my seat until we ran him out of bounds. And he didn't get it. That was awesome. Yeah, I think on, in every level of of the game, we were incredible. I mean, it couldn't have gone any better. The the result was I mean, it was fifty eight to nothing. It looks good perception-wise nationally. It, it's a it's a great thing. Um, I think, and I think a lot of people will. Some people will say we'll write this off as you know Miami didn't come out to play. Their heart wasn't in it. You, you hear that a lot, especially like around bowl season. They came out. This Miami team came out. They were you know they were juiced up, man. They were talking a lot of trash. You could see it pregame. They were you know they needed to win. They were kind of a, a wounded animal. They needed to, uh, to to kind of right the ship to get back into ACC contention. They needed this win, and they came out looking okay on offense. I think they, um, but they got punched in the mouth. Yeah. Uh, it reminded me a little bit of the Florida State game from you know coming to Death Valley back in 2013. Well, that was you know a lot of impl implications there. Uh, we were we were uh, psyched up, you know, coming down the hill, buses coming in. They punched us in the mouth, though. They were a better team, and we just didn't respond, and Miami didn't respond. Well, even better this time is Miami was talking so much trash their players were and starting scuffles before the game, and we just shut them right up. 
Yeah, it, I mean, it was it, it was great. It was great to see. And I think at the end of the game, you saw Mackenzie Alexander just you know continue to talk, and it looked kind of bad. But I, I think we, if we would have been on the field to hear all the trash talking these Miami wide receivers were doing, even after they were losing by like you know dozens of points. I think you'd probably find it a little bit more justified. Yeah, and we saw when we saw Dabo sit the team down going into uh, halftime. He mentioned, you know, with tensions already high, the teams would be crossing each other going into the half. So I think it was a smart move to do that. Um, but he really got to control the team, and that's the Dabo we all know and love, and that's why he's such a great coach for this football program, and that's why we are where we are. Yeah, I mean, you guys touched on a number of areas here that I wanted to make sure we covered, like. I, I don't think we ran into a sleepwalking Miami team here. They came to play. They were amped up. I don't think they were playing for their coach's job per se, even if that's ultimately what this would end up costing him. But they just there was sort of a pride factor from Miami that they wanted a statement win. Um, and I think you saw from Miami they had an intense – like they, they looked fairly good on offense their first series. Um, we knew going into the game their defense – was missing some guys was not the strength of that that outfit um and i you know we we kind of methodically marched on the field with our first series but overall i mean i think the fact that we we took their first punch on offense and turned them over i i don't i don't think they ever got up off the mat after that point no Um, they didn't have a chance really i mean they didn't come close to scoring the rest of the game yeah, I think that's, I mean, before before we started recording today, um, Ben, you asked me, like, at what point did you think this was just our game? And I think after we scored our second touchdown on our second offensive drive, I just thought, like, you know, we absorbed their first offensive series with, you know, unscathed, and we had a two-touchdown lead already. I just think, like, you know, knowing a team that questions about their intensity, questions about them having mental mistakes all year, and this this looming cloud of Al Golden's tenure. I just don't, they were, they already had enough of an uphill battle to try to beat a superior Clemson team, but to go down two scores like that and to not, I just think like that was it. And you know, from the route was on at that point. Yeah. And for me, I think it took a little bit longer before I knew, uh, mainly because, you know, Miami did put a drive together there on their first drive of the game. So that made me a little bit worried. I still thought that they were going to be able to score. But, you know, for us to score touchdowns on our first four offensive drives of the game, and then after Shaq Lawson just, like, completely obliterated Brad Kaya and put him out of the game, I mean, that was like a grizzly bear grabbing a salmon. That was – what an amazing hit. Um, At that point, I knew it was over. Yeah, and I think looking at 58 to nothing, I think there's something to be said for that level of execution, you know, the – the coach's ability to, to keep their players focused and and even after even after first stringers came out second team going in next man up and to, to play to that level and that consistency I mean it's it, it was just just a great win well real quick talking about what what this has meant for this team this year um, or as far as like how do we fare nationally I think you saw throughout yesterday's afternoon we'll, we'll touch here in a little bit about other action across the country, but um, AP poll was just released. Clemson has moved up to number three overall. seems like we've jumped Louisiana State and TCU. Uh, Utah obviously having lost to USC dropped out of that top five, so um, Clemson effectively moves up three spots. I think that's justified. We still trail Baylor and Ohio State. You could debate on the merits of those two, but I think um, just where, where they were coming into this week, you know, I don't know if we could have expected to move up. So good to see us get that vote of confidence in the AP poll. A lot of national writers, pundits, they're releasing their re- revised top four after some of the action yesterday. And I think across the board, we're, we are seeing Clemson move into that top four. Part of that could be the loss that Florida State sustained. And um, if they're able to lose to Georgia Tech, yeah, they probably will lose to a Clemson team that just kicked the crap out of Miami. So um, anyway, good to, I mean, I think the Clemson fan rhetoric throughout this year has been one of feeling slighted by the national media. Um, I think that that sort of bias is starting to move away. Of course, then you get the coaches poll where we're still ranked number six. What a joke. I mean, but, that, um, that, that poll is garbage. Um, I mean, no surprise uh, for me, for us moving up in the AP poll, you have a win like that. Come on. I mean, you can't overlook that. I mean, you lose all credit if you don't bump us up there. So no surprise, we're finally starting to get some respect, and it's awesome to see. Definitely. So before we move on and touch a little more on specifics of this game and performances that we saw from individual players and, and groups, I want to take a, 
you know, take a step back a little bit and talk about what, what does this mean for Clemson? And just for me, I think like, let's turn the noise down on the playoff hunt. I just think like this, this is one of the best wins that I've, I've witnessed in my time as a Clemson fan. Um, I just think it's, you know, we should try at some point, stop, smell the roses, like take this in and enjoy this. Um, to see this team execute at this level, I think we've we've had some good wins this year. Beating Notre Dame was huge, um, but to see just a, a this type of like I don't know signature victory um, is great to see. So, Cody, like, what do you think this means for for the program? I, I mean, across the board, I think you see you know certain writers like Larry Larry uh, Williams from Tiger Illustrated saying you know this is a landmark victory. Um, it's when a, he's, he was quoted as saying. It's when a good program, a good program became a scary good program, and I, I might dial it, dial it down a little bit. I think it was a great win. Ultimately, we got to go out and beat NC State, and if we could, I'll see if we can maintain that same level of play against probably what is a lesser opponent, NC State, you know, to my or, uh, versus Miami. Then I then I think we're on to something. And then if we can maintain that against Florida State, and I think perception wise nationally, uh, people will start to see us as that that number one, number two type team. You know what? The reason I'm not worried about teams like NC State, Syracuse, Wake Forest, even South Carolina to finish off the season is because I think uh, kind of the issue with teams at Clemson pass, even with all the talent that we've had, uh, you know, unexplainable uh, losses have come through lack of focus. You can see from what how this team showed up and played yesterday is that that is not part of their DNA. These coaches have this team dialed in with all the trash talking that Miami was doing um, on the road for your only your second road game of the year you're ranked highly a lot of pressure on you and then to come out and play like that these guys are dialed in I mean what a refreshing victory I think as far as regular season victories go this is one of the best that I've ever seen I mean it reminds me of the 63-17 game that I was at obviously for the uh, Clemson South Carolina game um, but this has so this has national title and playoff implications, and I think that makes this one even better. Um, now, as far as the joy that I got out of it, I think probably beating Ohio State in the Orange Bowl was you know right up there with it, and then annihilating Oklahoma. We talk about blowouts um, in that bowl game, um, but for what this is, again, a landmark victory it was so refreshing to see, and I'm just going to enjoy it. Yeah, absolutely, and. It, you know, they don't give awards for in week nine of the regular season, but this definitely bodes well. And I think for me, it's legitimized Clemson as the class of the conference. Um, you, you can't really separate this from seeing Florida State lose to Georgia Tech, but this is sort of a rebuilding year for, for Florida State. They've managed to come through up until this week undefeated, um, narrowly escaping a few of their matchups, including Miami. But Clemson's tops in the ACC, that may continue for the foreseeable future, too. Um, Pitt seems, you know, pesky a little bit on the on the coastal side, but yeah, we're we're top of our conference. That's very good. That's going to help with you know ongoing recruiting. This like flywheel effect. Uh, but I think like we even talked about it in the off season. Where would we calibrate Clemson in the national landscape as a program? And I think we we were talking about like we're right around the t- you know t- number ten level, top ten. I mean, I think we're squarely in that conversation with the performance of this team, and I think. For me, that begins with the defense. Um, we were expecting a, a step backwards, and we haven't seen that. Um, we've we've focused on that a lot in some of our performances this year. But yeah, I think we're this type of a win, et cetera, moves us into you know really squarely in that top ten. And I think this is going to have a positive effect. I mean, just think about the recruiting implications yeah. of this type of a blowout in South Florida. Um, you know, you, you talk about Ray Ray McLeod. He watched that CJ Spiller performance the last time we beat Miami in Miami. We were able to endear Ray Ray to Clemson, and he ended up coming here. What does that mean for who are the next Ray Rays or the next like generation of amazing South Florida football talent? Yeah, exactly. What kids? What what kids in the Miami and South Florida area were watching that game yesterday and got inspired by by what Clemson did? I mean. All these things are pointing to a program that is on the rise. We're not there yet, but we're moving there quickly. And that that goes to the coaching and leadership, the recruiting, the type of guys that we're bringing in, and it's all starting to build up. You talk about kind of some of the down years um, when Dabo first started, the five losses in a row to South Carolina. Well, yeah, but where are they now? Um, The blowout in the Orange Bowl against West Virginia. Yeah, but where is West Virginia now? For us to go through those hard times, and for, for us to push through that adversity and become the team that we are becoming, 
I mean, that, that just speaks to what Dabo's laid in place and the kids that are on this team. And get excited, folks, because this is just the beginning, I think. For sure. Um, so maybe to put a finer point on what we saw in this game, um, everyone, you know, I hope everyone's watched a replay by now, but um, in, in many ways it might not be the most exciting replay you could watch. But uh, keys to this victory, and I think we, we typically in our preview episodes talk about what we're looking for, like what we hope to see from the Clemson players, Clemson team, even the coaching staff with play calling. Uh, and maybe let's start with the offense, the team, that, the side of the ball that put up uh, not all 58 of the points, but certainly their fair share. Um, I'll just break this down. We were initially looking to see if we could establish the run game against Miami, um, control the clock, keep Brad Kaya on the bench, or as it turned out in the locker room, um, you know, were we able to establish the run game? I think definitive, yes. 416 yards rushing. Gallman was running downhill all game. Um, we saw a couple of massive quarterback run plays. Zach Brooks got in there, and he he did some damage. He had a, t- a rushing touchdown. Um, so, yes, we were able to establish the run game. And even even beyond that, the screen pass game, which still short distance, kind of the outside of the formation. Um, so our sort of short distance ability to move the ball against Miami was there. It was spectacular. Yeah, I would say it was an okay day running the football, um, you know, by, by Clemson standards. I mean... Offensive line did great, got a push. Gallman was running the ball well. Deshaun Watson, um, even though he looked a little slow to me, maybe maybe he had, maybe he's had a little uh, too much boat jangles at this point in the season, uh, not being able to finish off that run. But no, he looked great. I mean, to put up over 400 rushing yards, I don't care who you're playing, that's phenomenal. Yeah, it, Gallman looks great. Um, I'd like to see him keep his pad level a little bit further down because he man, he took some licks in this game. But man, he also you know, dished his, his fair share out as well. Deshaun Watson just being being able to in like that zone read um, taking the ball for the run when the defense doesn't expect it. I mean, I, I think he he did, he did such a good job in this game of just keeping himself safe, not really you know, fighting for extra yards that we didn't need. Um, but yeah, ultimately great game running the ball. We were a little bit down on the offensive line coming out after uh, the Boston College game. We we're you know making uh, comments about Bojangles and everything, but they they look great. They 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 brought it today. Or brought it yesterday. I think one of the most fun parts about me yesterday is not from the the known threats and weapons that we have, but to start to see all those second and third string guys get in there. I mean, you talk about that run Kelly Bryant had. I mean, he's. I think he's locking up the second string job behind what we saw from Schusel yesterday. I think it's a no brainer. Um, you know, but then some of the other guys that were out there. You know, uh, but also let's go back to the first teamers real quick. Sharon Peak has really. He is progressing. I know everybody's been down on him thinking that he's, you know, fifth year, senior, and he's just not going to make it, but he is getting better as the season goes on. He's had some good catches yesterday, and he's blocking really well. Jordan Leggett had some good blocks, and how about that trick play for that first touchdown? That was a thing of beauty. Yeah, good to see, I guess, the Skelly 8 combo pulling out, um, going deep into their bag of tricks. That was definitely vintage Chad Morris play calling there. I'm a little surprised that Miami's all six of their – their linemen bid on that that play um it wasn't a perfect pass either so good on jordan leggett to grab that ball yeah um and then move it down the field and big props to mitch hyatt he was hustling down down the field made a made a good block at the very end of that play to drive leggett into the end zone so yeah across the board i think first first stringers on offense were good um one other area we were looking for was will Deion kane and zach brooks roles increase in this offense so those guys stepping up, Deion Kane and Mike Williams' absence, moving into that boundary position, and then Zach Brooks is kind of the um, the, the second punch in, the, in our rushing attack. Um, he he firmly established in the, the number two spot in the depth chart. Um, I think this one was a was a fifty fifty deal. Um, I unfortunately I didn't go back and read up on what what was up with Deion Kane and why he did not play in this game. Um, feel free to chime in, guys, if you looked into that. But I could say Zach Brooks, on the other hand very much did get involved in this offense and um i think we we saw some some improvement in progress there yeah i i think zach brooks could have been used more um but just kind of with the flow of the game and us jumping out with such a big league we really wanted to get some other guys like uh fuller in there and tyshawn die both both of them got eight carries apiece um cj davidson you know gave him his senior carries unfortunately he he uh dropped the ball in that pitch play so sorry to see about that um but yeah, no, Zach Brooks is firmly number two. Deion Kane, some discipl- discipl- disciplinary issue. I get that out. Um, 
Dabo didn't say a lot. That's sorry to see because I think he could have gotten a lot of playing time. and want to see him progress game to game, but hopefully nothing serious, and he's back for the NC State game. Yeah, it, he said something about an attitude. I, you know, that's I guess it happens with freshmen, but it kind of stinks for Kane uh, going back home to Florida, not getting to play. But the one bright spot there was Trevion Thompson did get involved a little bit. I like I like watching him. They've said he's a clone of Mike Williams, which he's like two or three inches shorter. I don't really think he's an exact clone of Mike Williams, but I think he does offer some of that similar skill set. I think he can he can high point the ball. He can uh, you know he showed a little bit of a move there on, on one of his receptions, yeah. uh, making making a guy miss little yards after the catch. I mean he's no Sammy Watkins, but he does offer a little bit of that. So that's good. I mean just a guy that's a redshirt freshman, something to look forward to going uh, going forward. Well, yeah, and oh, sorry there. Uh, that was actually his only reception on the day, but it, it looked good. I mean. All in all, just looking down this box score is just a thing of beauty, just seeing everybody that got to play. And I'm looking at this here. I, did anybody notice this, that Dane Rogers got a reception? Dane? He's on, I don't know if that's right. That was actually a misallocation. I read a tweet about that. Okay. Um, someone else He's a defensive end. caught that ball. I thought that was odd. <laughs> but I will say, Ray Ray McLeod, just a little quick bit on him, because I think he's looked, he's looked so polished. You know, he's a little small. I'm kind of worried for him a little bit, but he's, he's so slippery. His, his poise, his savvy when he's got the ball, like one time on the wheel route, they threw it to him. And if he, you know, just like mindlessly catches the ball, he's going to get trucked by the guy. But he puts on the brakes, makes the guy move. Just, I mean, a, a very exciting uh, element to the offense that we'll have for another four years. But I really, I really just enjoy watching him. He's just a good football player. Yeah, in the first half, I feel like he was key to our continuing to move the ball and stretch the field a little bit because um, we really weren't attacking deep. So I think the whether it be you know screen passes etc to Ray Ray um, he was moving all, all over the field so um, very okay. good yeah that was actually Seth Ryan I guess that caught yeah. that pass attributed to Dane Rogers they have the yep. same number being on opposite sides of the ball um, so good to see uh, Rex's son out there getting some playing time future coach I'm sure absolutely and I think one area that we, we talked about is running a little bit but that we were looking for in this game was Deshaun Watson and seeing his accuracy and decision making improve he really didn't have to throw the ball too much in this game with the success of our running game, with us putting up points on defense, and Miami pretty much giving us everything we wanted. Um, in, in the Kraken's instant thoughts, instant reaction recap on shaking the Southland, I think he talked about, he praised um, our offensive coordinator's play-calling ability and finding like what the defense was willing to give us and pretty much everything they were trying working. Uh, what we weren't needing to try was Deshaun throwing it downfield to Sharon Peak to um, any of the other receiving options. But Deshaun still put up like a 78-79% um, passing accuracy number this game. He was 15-19. and 19. Um, So yeah, I mean, I think his, his accuracy was improving. Um, he was making plays with his feet as well. So I thought this was a step forward for his season. Um, well, and I think this also speaks to the, the play calling of, of Elliott and how it's evolved over the season. We kind of questioned it a little bit um, in the early going, but it's really gotten better. They're kind of playing to the opposing defense's weaknesses. You saw that in the Boston College game where we knew they were good at stopping the run, so we just were going to throw the ball deep, and we stuck to that. And then in this game, we knew that we could run all over Miami, so we didn't really need the deep balls. So we're take what the defense is we are taking what the defenses are giving us. And in this game, obviously, it was the run game with over 400 yards rushing. Yeah, and they, they said 60% of the time we're going to run the ball. And it's so good having Gallman um, and, and Zach Brooks stepping in, Tyshawn Dye looking good. Really, it's it's not just about having uh, having a good running back. It's, it's establishing that run game so you can be more dynamic in the passing game and open things up. And a quick bit on Deshaun Watson. He, he looks... He looks so good, and he, you've seen an improvement throughout the course of the season. A little, a little bit rusty early on, but he's really coming on. And I, I'm comparing him to like a to a point guard, uh, and just in that, you know, he's not like uh, you know. Think back to the NBA Finals where LeBron James was playing, and he had to do everything for the team. And Deshaun Watson, we kind of thought that's what he would need to do coming into the season, be you know just every, you know everything like a Marcus Mariota from last year. But he doesn't need to be that. He just needs to be accurate, get the ball spread around. He doesn't have to run that much, just enough to keep the defense honest. And he's so many facets of the game. He's really he's so polished, and it's 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 a thing of beauty to see getting guys involved, uh, making other players better. 
Absolutely. I, I don't think thus far this season you've seen him emerge as a Heisman contender that a lot of us were thinking that he might be this year, but he hasn't needed to be. Um, I think we've he's not the focal point of our offense necessarily, which which who's going to argue with the results that we're seeing on the field? There's too much talent around him. And I do think, you know, potentially a year on in 2016, uh, maybe he can emerge and more of the offense will be focused around his skills and he'll have more experience. We'll see. But I think for us, what this means is like in a game against like a Florida state, let's say we find ourselves tied up or even down a touchdown or two in the third quarter. I think he absolutely can be that different difference maker and he can bring us back in those situations. Um, in a way, I almost feel more confident in his ability to do that even then. Um, I think I'd put him up there with Taj Boyd from a confidence standpoint that I have in our quarterback. So he's got that, that winning, winning flair to him, um, and he can get the, ball, get the ball out there to his stable of talent. He's just calm, cool, and collected, and he's getting better and better every game. He's starting to, I think, trust his knee more and trust himself in the pocket, and it's, it's a beautiful thing to see. I mean, to, to have all the talent that we have from our wide receivers – and to see Wayne uh, Gallman uh, really improve and become a number one running back and throw that on top of an offensive line that came into the season with only six starts on their resume and to play as well as they have, and you add Deshaun Watson to the mix, this offense is going to get better and better, and, I mean, yeah, we're going to be able to trust them, and they're going to win games for us. So outside of some of the depth that we were able to bring into the game, I think our offensive line, we got a lot of... A lot of like two deep, three deep guys out there moving the formations around. I think um, Fru Morgan was playing right tackle at one point, um, had a few other guys in there who I hadn't seen their names called thus far this year. Um, any other areas of the offense that you would have liked to see in a little more sharpness this game? I mean, it was pretty much a flawless performance in my eyes. Yeah, not a lot to complain about. Again, we can talk about the backup quarterback position. You know, Nick Schusler was one of five and did not look really good out there, I think. Kelly Bryant really assumes this role that we all knew was going to happen. He just needed the time to develop, obviously. He still needs to work on his passing ability. But I'll go back to that run, that touchdown run he had. I mean, he was he had speed. He's a big guy who looks really good out there. And, you know, after Watson, you talk about quarter, who's the next man up. We talk about the next man up. I think it's Kelly Bryant. Yeah, you would think so. He looks, we've compared him to Cam Newton. The coaching staff's compared him to Cam Newton. He's got that build. He's not quite there yet in terms of size, but he looks great in that, that zone, uh, zone option where he just takes off with it. The only thing, I am worried a little bit about his passing ability because if, if he can't prove or demonstrate some, some passing uh, you know, to be able to get it to his receivers, uh, defenses are going to zone in on him, key in on him, and they know he's going to run every time. However, though, I think he did enough this game and looked great that he probably is our number two going forward. Well, compared to how Schusler was passing the ball, I mean, when you compare him like that and you take Kelly's legs, no doubt. And, okay, he's a true freshman. freshman. Give him spring ball again this year, and I think he's going to continue to develop. Let's flip it over to the defensive side of the ball, guys. And I'll just actually rapid fire go through what we were looking for. And we could do, like, one-word answers to these um, because I think we – we'll spend enough time talking about the tremendous performances we saw. Um, so first, first things first, Joseph Yearby, their running back, like, are we able to contain him and shut down the running game at the line of scrimmage at the point of attack? Definitive. Yes. How does our secondary look against a capable quarterback that can hurt you? Um, Brad Kaya was in there for the first quarter. And then I think one series in the second quarter, they were able to move the ball a bit in a couple of different series, but by and large, we picked him off. Um, and we were able to, you know, bend but not break. So I feel like I would say our secondary looked great in this game. Tankersley had a pick six. Um, so we'll, we could talk a little more about the secondary here. How much playing time does DJ Reader get um, in his first game back from an undisclosed personal um, hiatus from the team? I, he got on the field. I feel like he looked good. I don't, I don't know if you guys went back and looked at how often he was playing, et cetera, but I definitely heard his name called by the announcers a few times. Um, and he was tracking guys down. So, you know, he, he didn't get burned on any plays. He wasn't, like, you know, drawing penalties, et cetera. So I think Reader was solid. Another key for us, are we improving our depth at linebacker? And we'll see how many how many linebackers, how many minutes were out there for from the second and third string linebackers. But I think we didn't see uh, Ben Bulwer or B.J. Goodson play in the second half, I don't believe. So 
we were at least getting minutes for these guys. Now, whether they were super effective in making tackles in the open field, not as sure about that. I'm looking for some more in-depth write-ups. Um, and then lastly, I think for our defense, did they show up to play? I think a shutout victory pretty much answers that one in and of itself. Uh, but really, I think that the first couple, really the first quarter of containing Brad Kaya, to me, showed me all I needed to know about this defense. You can say, like, yeah, not not breaking the rest of the way and letting up any points in garbage time. But um, for me, really, like, we, we just put our boot on their throat in the first quarter. Well, and I know Kaya went down, but, I mean, it's not just the first-teamers. Across the board to pitch a shutout like that when you're up by so many points, that means that those second-teamers and third-stringers really get in there and get a lot of playing time. And, boy, they look good because I'll point out that Miami still had Yerby in and they still had their three good wide receivers. I know they were out the quarterback, but they still had those first-teamers in all the way pretty much through the end of the game. And our second and stringers came in there and they hold up. They held up their end of the bargain and held that shutout, and it was awesome to see. I mean, this was just an all-around, almost near-perfect defensive performance across the board. And we talk about did our linebacker depth improve? Well, I think so because they, 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 as part of that whole third-string unit, second and third-string unit, they didn't let up any points. They didn't let up any big plays. Yeah, I think I, I didn't get to watch. I watched a little bit of the first half on the film. I didn't get to watch the second. I think Jalen Williams got in there. I think Kendall Joseph yep. as well. I, I want to rewatch the second half and see how they did. But they were they were active. We could say that. Um, key points for me, DJ Reader. Um, he did look good. I don't think he's put on any additional weight. Um, I heard the announcer say that you know he talked to Brent Venables before the game. Venables said that DJ Reader is his best defensive tackle. And, you know, there's a lot of coach speak from time to time, but uh, Venables doesn't really, he's not that guy. He, he says what he's, what he's thinking and how he feels. And if he thinks DJ Reader is his best uh, defensive tackle, then that's, that says a lot. You well, know, with, yeah. the first time I noticed Reader being in there is when he chased down the, their quarterback from behind, and he looked like he had some speed on that play. So that was, that was great to see. Well, he's, he, was, he was tops of the depth chart going into uh, the fall camp. Yeah. So, yes, we've seen awesome play from Christian Wilkins as a true freshman. Scott Pagano, we know his ability to blow up his center in the front of that line. But getting your preseason top depth chart tackle back is like a shot in the arm to an already stout defensive line. Well, and for him, I mean, kudos to him for staying in game shape after missing the first six games of the season. That's especially for alignment guys that carry a lot of weight that that can't be hard to do so i mean really really proud of him being able to do that and that shows his commitment to the team yeah you talk about a very nimble 330 pound guy that can he's got some wills um another thing that i thought it has nothing to do with position groups or um, any specific players necessarily it's just the attitude of our defense that I, i really i really enjoy watching i think i think with any good or you know that's or a great team across all sports Everyone has that that attitude of I'm the best I'm the best out there, and I think with Mackenzie Alexander, with Jaron Curse, Ben Bulware, uh, Christian Wilkins, Shaq you know, Lawson, Shaq Lawson, yeah, you know, good one. I, I think all those guys think they are the best player on the field, and I think there's something to be said for that. It, just that that attitude of I'm not gonna, regardless of who I'm playing, you know, the Stacy Coley's or the the Dalvin Cooks, I'm the best player on the field, and I'm gonna lock you down. The, the Will Fullers from Notre Dame. That's their attitude, and I think it, it's a reflection of Brent Venables, but also just having that bravado. And I think this is a championship-level defense. To, to, to lose 9 out of 11 starters to the NFL last year and to have these guys come in and fill their shoes and they're back into being a top-five defense after this game, absolutely unbelievable. I continue. I mean, you couldn't give enough credit to Brent Venables and his defensive coaching staff for what they've done and really the coaching staff as a whole for the recruits that they bring in. It's absolutely amazing, and I love, love, love seeing great Clemson defenses. So I think for me the marquee, marquee performance of this game was actually our defensive end play. Um, Kevin Dodd continuing to just be incredibly disruptive, and then Shaq Lawson. But maybe the second game ball here on the defensive side for me goes to Van Smith. Um, just coming in as, I mean, I think he's listed as a safety, right? Yeah. And some of the plays he was making, I mean, he seemed Earl Thomas-esque from the Seattle Seahawks Legion of Boom. Um, and I think I knew that just the, going back to your identity of this defense, it does feel like a brotherhood also. And when he was, you know, making plays like blowing up their quarterback and, turning him over on downs on that fourth fourth down play to see J. Ron Curse like run on the field and just pump him up, not just 
it's great to see and it's a leadership moment but it's also like bringing this guy that's further down the depth chart you know bringing him along and who knows what we have there like maybe we'll continue to see him get playing time um it just felt great from a depth situation and just like the I don't know, overall leadership. No, totally agree. And Van Smith is, you know, he's a true freshman. He was high school teammates with Mark Fields. I mean, what a secondary that must have been back in, in high school. Um, but yeah, it was great to see him come along. We don't necessarily need him right now. He's kind of buried on the depth chart behind, you know, Jadar Johnson, Jaron Curse, TJ Green. But it's likely that Jaron Curse won't be here next year. So it's really good to see him in there. His dad was a, a football coach. Kind of like Ray Ray McLeod, just great instincts. You can tell a player just gets, you know, picks up the speed of the game really quick. He's just, a, you know, he's a football player. Um, but going back to the identity really quick, I think what that means for us to be able to, this next man up, the brotherhood that you mentioned, Tully, it's when we play on a, on a big stage, I don't think there'll ever be a stage that's too big for this Clemson team. When you always think you're the best, it doesn't matter if you're playing Ohio State, if you're playing TCU, you know, Baylor, you know, the list goes on. We're going we're gonna to uh, show up to play. And we're going to feel like we're the best team on the, on the field. And great to see our, our offense able to, to put up this type of, you know, I think we've, like, this type of amount of points. Um, we've seen our defense shut, shut other teams down. I think at this point our average points per game is, like, in the low teens. Um, we've moved into, I believe, the, number, the top four ranked defense in, like, a less uh, advanced statistical measure. I'm sure in the advanced stats things, Clemson hasn't budged from the top position in the country um, overall as a team and I'll be curious to see where we moved on the defensive side with advanced stats but to see the offense then like you can you can say like let's match up against a Baylor can our defense contain that high-powered high-octane offense I think probably and yes but now what we're seeing is our offense go out there and put up you know a massive score um, on a power five team like Miami they've still got athletes this wasn't a, a complete cupcake that we just blew out no, they have really good athletes. I mean, their offensive line aside. Um, you're talking about a team like Baylor, we've seen what high-scoring offenses from like the Big 12 or a team like Oregon, um, what happens when they come into a big bowl game or national championship game and have to play an elite defense. Mm -hmm. They get shut out for the most part. And we have that elite defense that is going to carry us. And what sets us apart from some of those SEC teams maybe is that our offense is going to be better. And as a whole... Um, we've kind of we, we were talking about this yesterday. Is uh, Cody asked me the question? Is this the best Clemson team you've, you've seen? Um, and I think so. Yes, absolutely. Maybe not. You mentioned we don't have the best offense within the past past five years, and this isn't the best defense we've had in the past five years. But overall, as a unit, just just an all around team, I think this is clearly the best team that I've seen in my lifetime. Yeah, that's. I actually frame the question as: Is this, is this the best team you've seen? You know, the last like ten years. Yeah. And he's like, no, I think it's the best team I've seen in my lifetime. I'm like, well, shoot, you know, crap. Yeah. And then I, you know, made the comment, yeah, like it's not the best defense we've seen, uh, just in the last five years. You know, yeah. Yeah, last year was probably better defense, yeah. and then their 2012, 2013 offense. What's crazy is you want those like those when when you're at that elite status, you want those years to kind of line up. 2013's uh, offense could mesh with 2014's defense. You know, that's a national championship contender. But we're we're there. Just a year later, here you know here we are. We got a, probably the, the most balanced team that I've seen in my lifetime, and probably the best team. Yeah, and maybe with the the final position group, we'll touch on special teams. Really didn't become any type of a factor on this game. Um, I'll start with the low light. We saw Greg Hugel miss a PAT. Dabo is not too pleased. I think he gave an earful on that one. But um, in terms of what we were looking for coming in, kickoff coverage and just ability to pin them deep. Um, we did get some balls kicked out of the end zone. There was an unsportsmanlike penalty on Miami, so we had a, a kick moved up. And I don't think any of us were realizing it at the time, but <laughs> uh, Lake up blasted the ball into the stands. And we were like, where'd that come from? But, <laughs> Why uh, can't he do that but, every time? Yeah, I think the obviously penalty helped with that one. But yeah, I think we saw some improvement from Lake up here in terms of kickoffs. I don't know if it was the, you know, they're at sea level in the ocean air. It's pretty close there. Who knows what, what happened? Or, you know, maybe he... Um, didn't go out in South Beach the night before, um, so he wasn't too hungover. <laughs> Maybe but, he did. Who knows? Yeah, well, <laughs> unclear there. But um, yeah, we we're also looking to see do the coaching staff does the coaching staff get Ray Ray McLeod involved in punts? Um, I think we saw Artavis Scott still continuing to field punts. So, well, um, Ray Ray's fumble was on a a punt return, uh, and I think that's twice now that he's done that this year. So. 
the question we've been talking about, we're not getting a lot from the from the punt return game from Artavis Scott. It's a safe play. Do you get a more dynamic guy like Ray McLeod in there? But if he's showing that he has a tendency to turn the ball over in these situations, um, I think given our elite defense and our offense continues to improve, you take the safe, the, the safe bet, just get the ball and focus on going down and score. Yeah, I'm all about just having Artavis Scott and his, for the most part, reliable hands, catching the punts, and just you know being okay with that field position. On kickoff return, though, I don't know why Ray Ray is not. I, I want him there because he's the guy that can make you miss. He's a little bit more you know, agile, laterally quick. He's got that, that kind of juke. And C.J. Fuller hasn't shown us a lot. Yeah. Yeah, it, I don't know why he's why he's back there, but but anyway, enough about special teams. I just hope that Ray Ray will ultimately get that kickoff return role. Cool. So I think to put a wrap on this Miami game, you know, all around holistic team victory. I think we've been we've talked about coming into this game, we hadn't seen a complete dominant uh, team win. This was very much that. Could not have been more that. Um, so very good to see. Awesome timing to have this come through as well. We talked about this road stretch with Miami and then NC State uh, worried a little bit about a look ahead situation or yeah we we won in the the confines of the comforts of Death Valley but are we able to win when we go back out on the road yes we are it turns out so um things bode well for the coming weeks here this is a great win let's take it um but looking elsewhere around the country there were certainly some disruptive um, happenings going on this week I think people didn't see it as um, as big of a week as the past couple in terms of matchups going. There's really only one ranked matchup. Um, I believe that was, which game was that? Um, well, it was not the Utah-USC game. It's not USC, one that mattered. USC came in unranked, and um, but actually favored against number three Utah. And going into that, I was like, what does Vegas know that we don't? But apparently they know they know quite a bit, and there's a reason those casinos stay open. Um, but they, they dismantled Utah. We don't know if there are any injury concerns there, but Utah looked completely outmatched and outcoached, which is interesting considering USC is now um, being helmed by sort of an interim coach situation with Sarkeesian leaving. So, um, you know, number three Utah falls. I think they, they tumbled out of the top 10 for sure in the AP, AP polls. Uh, and I think their, their playoff hopes are done unless they can run the table and win the Pac-12. But they're going to need a lot of help from other schools. Yeah, I think the Pac-12 is pretty much out of the out of the uh, hunt at this point. Uh, this USC Utah game was one that we pointed out that this could be the one that Utah loses and helps us move up. And so not only were we rewarded with that, but we also with our stellar performance were able to jump two other teams. So all these things combined, moving up three spots. It was really a great weekend for us. We're now solidly in the top three in the playoff discussion. And you look at our schedule moving forward for the rest of the season. NC State, not a good team. Florida State, just dramatic loss to Georgia Tech. We'll talk about that in a second. And then Syracuse, Wake Forest, South Carolina. And then whoever wins the Coastal. That is very, very doable to come out of there with no losses. So another action, you, you alluded to it. Um, Georgia Tech, Florida State, fairly sloppy game overall. Uh, down the stretch, I think Florida State was looking to go ahead. They were, sorry, they were... Um, they were up 16-13, looking to ice it with a would-be touchdown pass thrown into the end zone. Weird play kind of popped up on Florida State's receiver and it was picked off. First turnover of the season for that offense um, with a pick in the end zone. So um, really tough to for them to have that like momentum swing, go back in Tech's favor. Uh, Tech came, drove the field on the next ensuing possession, tied the game with a field goal. Florida State got the ball back. Everett Golson actually moved the ball pretty well. And they set up a Robert Aguayo, I think it was like a 56-yard, 58-yard field goal. 56-yard. It would have been his longest. His previous longest was 53. And that was blocked. And since the ball cleared the line of scrimmage, it, you could return it. Um, and they returned that in sort of Auburn kick-six fashion uh, for the win and the upset victory there. So two things, guys. If you're a head coach and you've got overtime as assured, um, do you kick that long type of type of kick going forward i think for me uh maybe it depends on your kicker and i think in this case you do because florida state's kicker in his career has never missed a field goal or extra point in the fourth quarter i know his uh previous long was only 53 but he is a really really good kicker and i think you trust him yeah i mean I, i'm i'm with you I, I go for it and that's just like a crazy it's a fluke fluke type thing yeah and I, I don't i don't blame him for doing that but yeah i think going back to what you said about just the acc we're I, 
Florida State's definitely probably not on our level. Hopefully, we can beat them and you know beat and it, them, play yeah. at the level we should. Mm-hmm. But we're like you said, we're distancing ourselves a little bit from the rest of the ACC. And as a program, you know this game, this game and this season are not super reflective of. I mean, they are still potentially the class of the ACC from a program program level. I think we're neck and neck with them. This is a down year. They lost a number of guys the last two years to the league. Certainly on the offensive side, they're still figuring out their identity. Um, one thing I noticed watching this game, Jimbo Fisher and Everett Golson are not on the same page from an attitude standpoint and just from a leadership standpoint. Um, Jimbo is constantly like pulling him back, pulling him back over. Everett seemed to walk away. You know, so I, you know, we'll see how that plays out the next couple of weeks, but yeah, well, not they, something you want to see if you're a Florida State fan. They seem to have trouble with that down there with their quarterbacks at Florida State. Yeah, wait till they're in uh, Death Valley, eighty-five thousand really, really loud fans. They're gonna have they're gonna have some issues. Looking for revenge. Um, so elsewhere in sort of meaningful games, um, just we don't need to dwell on any of these. But Florida, or I'm sorry, Ohio State, uh, ranked number one, blew out Rutgers at home, forty-nine to seven. People are saying now that JT Barrett is in, you know, sole possession of that starting quarterback position, they can finally get to their their identity as a team on the offensive side. And you saw their defense actually make quite a quite a number of plays here. So since that Virginia Tech game, this might have been their most complete performance in the number one position. They're kind of earning that that number one ranking for the first time all year. Who knows if they've actually earned number one? I mean, I think they, they really haven't establish themselves as you know kicking blowing teams out in the big 12 or i'm sorry in the big 10 but um anyway like ohio state really it's going to come down to that matchup against michigan state and then michigan to see what whether they are legit or not um and that'll be coming up here in over the next four weeks number two baylor um sort of a pyrrhic victory here they won 45 27 over iowa state in basically a monsoon similar to that notre dame game that we had um, but in the second half, they lost their starting quarterback with a fractured bone in his neck. I'm not sure if it's closer to the collarbone or if it's you know more in the zone of what Mike Williams has been going through, but there's no timetable for his return. It's likely they've got to buy this week, but when they match up against, um, they still have to play Oklahoma State, Oklahoma, and then TCU. I can't imagine with a backup quarterback, even this late in the game, even with a bye week to get him accustomed to that offense, them making it through unscathed in that stretch. Yeah, prior to this, I thought they were a lock, uh, in my mind, uh, to go undefeated uh, the rest of the season, even though having to play TCU. I know TCU is undefeated, but Baylor's just, in my mind, looks so much better. Um, and I hate to see a kid go down like this. It really it really sucks for him and for Baylor as a team. Um, but you can now look at this as how we keep moving up in the rankings that Baylor's likely going to have a loss. And you're looking at us in Ohio State possibly 1-2, and this continues to get more and more exciting for Clemson. Yeah, I agree. And I watched a little bit of the Baylor game, and I'll say this. They, uh, they look great in the passing game. It looks like they're playing 11-on-8 and you know always find an open guy. But the teams they're playing are nothing like Clemson from a defensive line standpoint. They haven't seen that. And I would feel a lot more confident right now playing a team like Baylor, TCU, than Ohio State, who looks like they might be hitting their stride. And that, that is a team that I think has the highest ceiling in the, in the country. Um, other teams, in terms of you can recalibrate their ceiling, number eight, Alabama, won a squeaker against Tennessee uh, at home in Tuscaloosa, 19-14. Um, you know, I think all along I figured Alabama would still pull this one out, but it just seems like week after week they don't seem to put teams away. Um, or even come out of the gates firing firing on all cylinders. So, uh, you know, again, it's Bama, so they're going to get more than the benefit of the doubt from the pollsters and in the rankings. But, um, you know, not really I – I wouldn't con- consider them to be top four worthy at this point based on their resume. No, and Tennessee actually had the ball at the end of the game with an opportunity to go down and drive the field for a, for a winning touchdown um, before Alabama uh, or Tennessee's quarterback fumbled the ball. Alabama just, you know, iced the game on that one. But, yeah, Alabama at home barely gets by Tennessee, another SEC team. We mentioned in the, in the preview to the Miami uh, game uh, that Western Kentucky could give LSU some trouble because they're actually a pretty decent football team this year, and they did. They kept it close for a while before LSU finally pulled away in the middle of the third quarter. And I think in the AP poll, uh, you know, the writers looking at this and then looking at our win versus a Miami team, that's part of the reason why we jumped them. Yeah, and the SEC, man, they, they generally get the benefit of the doubt. 
Um, I'm looking at Ole Miss because they got they have two losses. Um, they could really shake things up. We talked about it last episode totally. Yep. They, if they go on and, and beat Alabama, or I'm sorry, they've already beat Alabama. They go on and they can beat LSU, um, really make a mess of things to where an SEC team might not make the playoff. <laughs> That's just such a great scenario to even think about. Yeah, Bama could beat Bama could win out, and if Ole Miss also wins out, Ole Miss is in that SEC title game, and then you've got a one loss Bama team that did not win their conference. You cannot put them in. I don't think. I think the only team that you can. Only teams you could put in at this point that have not won a, a conference title would be a Notre Dame team with one loss, who's also beaten a Stanford team, um, and then a narrow loss to Clemson, and possibly um, who else is I going to say here? Oh, you know Baylor, TCU. They don't really have a conference champion. Yeah, in it's, Big Twelve. Let, let me ask this question: uh, Is it bittersweet if the SEC doesn't get a team into the playoff? Does it soil it a little bit not having the most powered you know conference in the past several years not to put a team in there or are you just saying I, hey the best four made it it doesn't matter who those best four are and where they're from for me it's almost more satisfying to leave them out because the playoff is the ultimate symbol of relevancy and the ultimate symbol of legitimacy and being there and if you can't get that team in you know on resume and on I think out of conference victories and schedule of the whole conference and of whatever champion, whatever that looks like, I mean, LSU, who will they have played? They will have allowed 20 points to Western Kentucky. Um, maybe it's Florida. Like, what have they, what have they, what do they do against Florida State, like out of conference? Um, I don't know. I think for me, is sort of a, I wouldn't say I'm an SEC hater, but I'm, an, I'm a hater of their hype. And if you don't really have a legitimate champion to get into that, I'm completely okay. And it, if you're like, oh, but let's say Clemson wins the Natty, but we didn't have the chance to go up against a Bama or an LSU, whatever, man, win your league, get into that playoff. Can we make a bet with ESPN or something that they go off the air if the SEC doesn't put a team in the college football <laughs> playoff just for a day? Yeah. I, I just, I'm, I'm with you. I don't hate the SEC. I, actually, I enjoy watching a lot of their games. So I hate their hype, and I think it's great to see. I think the way that things have changed since back when Alabama and LSU were just one and two. They're still a good conference. They, from top to bottom, there's a lot of depth there. I mean, they're they got good teams across the board, but they don't really have any great teams. And even though I think ESPN so desperately wants a great team to emerge, I just don't think it's it, there's there's one this year. No, I don't think so either. Either, and you're seeing that play out. A lot of parity in college football. This is a really really fun college football season, especially when we're as good as we are. Yep, sounds good. So I guess we'll we'll wrap it up there, guys. Um, exciting week in college football exciting time to be a clemson football fan let's all you know take a moment savor this one um you know pour that extra extra whiskey and enjoy this victory uh, we've got nc state coming up on halloween this saturday we will be doing a preview episode midweek stay tuned for that once again uh, go track us down on twitter and facebook and if you have not yet done so subscribe to the, po the podcast on itunes your favorite platform um, and we thank you once again Go Tigers, let's get number eight.